0: From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gate. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away. Sorry, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask for the Spirit's assistance this morning. Gracious God, glorious Spirit, help us this morning. We need you. Lord, we come in as natural people needing a supernatural work. We come out of darkness and into your light. So God, open your word to us. Reveal Jesus and be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Almost every Saturday night in the summer and the fall, I can expect a phone call. It doesn't matter. What I'm doing, I'm waiting for this phone call. I know it's coming. I know it is. For certain, this phone call is coming. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, this phone call is coming. I could be hanging out with friends. I might be with some of you. I could be half asleep in bed, and I'm going to get this phone call. That phone call... Is from my wife. She is calling me at the end of her work day to ask me about my day. And she wants me to ask about her day, right? She wants to talk on the phone after her long day, working hard. She wants to have a conversation. But most importantly, above all of those things, she wants me to know that she's almost home she's on, I see that face, that face pops up on my screen, and I know Gabby's on her way home, which I'm very excited about always. Always. This phone call has become a sign of her nearness, that she is near to coming home. Here Jesus, we see, told his disciples a parable. A parable that's also about another kind of sign. A parable. Keep in mind, a parable is a story or a picture with a punchline. Right? It's a story or a picture with a punchline. Well, there's not so much of a story here, but it's an appropriate picture. One that would have been very obvious to Christ's disciples. The fig tree was a unique tree. It was a tree that lost all of its leaves in the winter time. It's one of the only ones, if if, if I understand correctly, right? We're not talking about Syracuse, New York, where all, all the leaves are going away, right? It's the one of the trees that lost all of its leaves when winter came around. So when the leaves started to come back, it was a sign that summer was near. It was a sure sign of the times. Central New York, we understand that, right? Leaves start to drop, right? Leaves start to turn color first, right? And then they start dropping. We know that the time is coming. Winter is almost here. Some of you made fun of me the other night for thinking that fall was just a sign of winter. (laughs) As if fall doesn't exist at all. But fall's nice, you know. Fall's okay. But it's really just a sign that winter is coming. You know, it doesn't matter how long fall is. I see fall, and I just think the shorts got to come off, the pants got to go on, the t-shirt's got to come off, the flannel's got to go on. And where there was no cardigan, there will be a cardigan. Right? We get the snow tires ready. We take the air conditioner out, or we just turn them off. Right? We pay attention to the changing seasons. And we prepare. We prepare as the the seasons are changing. Christ is calling his disciples to pay attention to something with this parable. To be able to discern the changing of the season. And Jesus tells them, he tells us what to pay attention to and what to prepare for. We read, so also, when you see all these things, You know that he is near at the very gate. When you see all these things, all these things, right? We're currently kind of a turning point in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is pointing, with this phrase, all of these things back up to the things that he has just taught them. Just taught them uh, to be prepared for. Jesus has been prophetically disclosing the signs and events that mark the imminent destruction of the temple, signs for them, and of the end of the age leading up to his second coming, signs for us. So what are all these things? Just as a reminder, what are all these things that Jesus is talking about? Well, first we read that the last days will be characterized by the presence of false Christs. Those who would come and attempt to deceive the people of God. Surely a sign for them. In the first century, for instance, there was one man, Dositheos, the Samaritan, tried to deceive the Samaritan people, people who related to the Jews, tried to deceive them by claiming that he was the one prophesied by Moses and empowered by God. Well, he died, and as history records, at one point, there wasn't so many as 30 of his followers still around. So he died, and his movement died. The first century, full of false teachers, even Josephus, a Jewish historian, had this to say about the time. He said, the land was overrun with magicians, seducers, and imposters, who drew the people after them in multitudes into solitudes and deserts to see signs and miracles which they promised to show by the power of God. But a sign for them, false Christs, but surely a sign for us as well. Surely there have been false Christs even in recent days. In the last century, I couldn't help but think of Sun-Young Moon, who started the Unification Church, claimed to be the Christ. He made an interesting distinction. He said he was the Christ, but he wasn't Jesus. A little weird. But he started this church. Well, he died. His church still exists. False Christs. Not only that, but wars, and rumors of wars, a sign for them, the first century was devastated by wars. And it was a war- that led up to the destruction of the temple itself. The siege on Jerusalem was exceedingly brutal. A sign for them, but surely a sign for us. Wars? We know about wars. I mean, just the U.S. isn't even that old. How many wars have been waged since the inception of our own country? Also famines and earthquakes, a sign for them. There were reports in the first century in the siege of Jerusalem that people were given way to cannibalism because there was no food. And that there were also many earthquakes reported in the region at the time. Yes, certainly a sign for them, but also a sign for us in the last a decade there were major famines reported in certain parts of Africa and North Korea and not only that we think of earthquakes right lots of earthquakes have happened but only in the last 11 years in 2011 we might think of the earthquake and the tsunami that led to the disaster at fukushima in japan persecutions we read In the first century, in the book of Acts, that the people of God were persecuted, beginning in Jerusalem. And that it forced them to move out of the city, to sort of disperse into the lands. Persecutions. There are persecutions in our day as well. The Coptic Christians in Egypt have been severely persecuted for centuries. For centuries. Even Christians in China experience persecution. And as the U.S., just in this past year, fled from Afghanistan, Christians had to flee. But some of them are still there today. They will be persecuted. They are experiencing persecution. Not only that, and surely because of some of these things, there will be spiritual apathy. A lack of care about spiritual things, about the gospel. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus in the first century, said that he he wrote of Himenaeus and Alexander. And he says of them that they made shipwrecks of their faith because they abandoned the gospel. Even the whole book of Hebrews, in some ways... was an attempt to draw Jewish Christians back to Christ who were being tempted to leave the gospel. Today, in the modern world, with all of our modern luxuries, right, we live in a time when spiritual apathy feels so easy. Spiritual apathy is almost convenient in our day and age. Right, these numbers... The numbers don't necessarily tell us everything, but we know, based on statistics, that church participation, church membership in the United States itself is at an all-time low. We don't know. That doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us something. People are leaving the faith behind. Who needs religion when we can just soothe all of our needs with a touch of a finger? Not only that, we heard of the abomination of desolation, right? In a kind of spooky phrase. But for them, surely it was Titus, the Roman general, who sieged Jerusalem and came and destroyed the temple, which was a religiously devastating event. But even after him, there are still threats, enemies, abominations who make desolation In the church, in the temple of the Holy Spirit, with the people of God. John wrote in his first letter, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists, plural, have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. He's writing this in the first century. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they all are not of us. There is still an abomination who would make desolation in the people of God, in the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of Antichrist. What does that mean? Who is Antichrist? What is the spirit of Antichrist? Well, John does go on to say, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. We know that that happens. That happens in the church, and it rocks congregations. But in all of this bad, right? I just gave you a whole lot of bad news. But in all of this bad We know that the signs of the season, the signs of the times, are also accompanied by glorious and great things. And one of them, Jesus tells us, is the proclamation of the gospel. That the gospel is the sign of the time. With all this, the people of God went out proclaiming the gospel as they went. From Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria until the end of the world. This acts. The book of Acts ends in Rome, which was considered the end of the world at that time. A sign for them, surely, but a sign for us. Because the gospel didn't stop there. It's made its way to us. To a bunch of people sitting here in North Syracuse. Right? And even to us, it goes out with us. To our friends. To our neighbors. The proclamation of the gospel is a sign of the times. But not only that, not only that, but that Jesus rules as king over his church and that we rule with him is a sign of the time. That after Jesus ascended to his father in heaven, that he received a glory, a power and domain and a people, a people who would reign with him from his first coming to his second coming. And he tells us this. In the opening chapter of Revelation, we read, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and domain forever and ever. Amen. Glory and domain only at some later point? No, glory and domain forever and ever now. Christ is king now, and we rule with him now. Yes, a sign of the times. All of these things, all of these things are signs of the times. When you see all these things, Jesus says, you can know that he is near at the very gate. All these things are signs of Christ's nearness. A sign of his second coming, that Christ is near, near to come again. They could know based on these signs. We can know based on these signs that Christ is near. Near to them then? Yes. Near to us now? Certainly. It remains the same. The signs of the times. Us that Christ is near even now. Having grown up in the church, in churches, different church traditions, I've noticed and have thought about different attitudes towards Christ's nearness. You know, I grew up in a context where some straight up put dates on it. Christ is coming. April 24th, 1994. Christ is coming July 7th, 2011. Right? Christ is so near that we could just straight up say when he's going to come. They apparently haven't read the passage after this one. Christ is so near, right? He's so near that we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about 401ks. We don't have to worry about saving anything. We don't really have to worry about the world that our children and our grandchildren are going to have to live in. We don't have to worry about the environment. Like, we don't have to worry about any of these things. Christ is so near. So let's all go up on that hill. Because Christ's coming. On the flip side, another attitude towards Christ's nearness is that he's so far off that it breeds a kind of indifference. Indifference. I'll deal with Jesus later in life. All these things, these things you say are happening now, these these bad things, they're not happening. This is suburban America. I'm kicking it back. I'm drinking my iced tea by the pool. What do you mean all these things? I don't have to worry about this now. I know they'll come eventually, and I'll just deal with Jesus then. Kind of indifference. Or, Jesus is so far off with a purpose so that as Christians, we can end all of these things. That we can usher in a Christian utopia by influencing the law of the land, by creating a Christian kingdom now on earth, by instituting biblical law as civil law, right? Working for an earthly kingdom. Now, Christ isn't near Because we got to get stuff done for him now in the public square. Friends, Christ is near. And it does not matter if we were people in the first century, our modern day, or Lord willing future generations to come. Christ has been near since his first coming. And he's going to be near until he actually shows up. And that calls us to attention always, to a preparedness always. All of these things, the good and the bad, will be until he actually returns. And Christ gives us the guarantee of that with his words. We go on to read, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So there's there's debate about what Jesus means when he says, this generation, this generation. Was it simply the generation standing before him, present? His people in the first century who had witnessed all of these things and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD or was it some future generation right who will have to go through some real bad stuff right who will really have to suffer before Jesus returns well given how we've understood this entire passage the answer to that question is yes it was then It's been every single Christian since. It'll be every single Christian until Christ's return. It is at every generation. Jesus' point is not that his arriving is in in every generation, but the signs of his nearness are in every single generation. The signs of his nearness. We have a guarantee of trials and suffering in this life. But we must not confuse trials and suffering with defeat. These things must take place. Even as the people of God experience opposition, it was not a sign of defeat. The destruction of the temple was not a sign of defeat. And even for us today, it's, dece- it's, it's real tempting for us to look around, to read the numbers, to look at, church church participation in the West, persecution in other parts of the world, and to think that it's defeat, but it does not mean defeat. Even as we live in the suburbs in the city of Syracuse and we experience and witness the spiritual coldness of the place in which we live, which is a historic coldness that's been around and considered for a long time. Friends, none of this is new. None of this is new. And it's not even entirely unique. Our times are kind of the same as every other time. We might have different problems, right? But all of these things belong to our times. But friends, they're a sign of Christ's nearness. Not a sign of defeat. Jesus told us these things would be so let's not be surprised by them. But in many ways, let's take courage in Christ's words. Because along with trials and sufferings, Christ is ruling his kingdom. And the spread and success of the gospel is a sign of the times. Evil doesn't reign. Christ Jesus reigns. Sin might win the battle. We know that well. But Christ is winning the war and he is not surprised by all these things and neither should you be neither should you be the presence of all of these things is always a sign that jesus is near at the very gate of every generation so friends we trust christ calls us to trust in him when we are met with any kind of trial any kind of persecution Don't be surprised, but take courage and trust. Christ is near. We have courage and great hope in proclaiming the gospel to people around us. That Christ is near at the very gate. With all of these things, friends, we endure in this life knowing that Christ is near. Yes, we trust. We trust Christ. We're encouraged by him. And we endure since Christ is near. This is what it means to live life and to pay attention to Christ's nearness. Between his first coming and his second coming. To experience all of these things. Commenting on Christ's words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. John Calvin states this. He says, For this reason, Christ enjoins his disciples not to allow their attention to be occupied by the world, but to look down from what may be called the lofty watchtower of divine providence on all that he foretold would happen. Yet, from this passage, we draw useful doctrine— "...that our salvation, because it is founded on the promises of Christ, does not fluctuate to the various agitations of the world, but remains unshaken, provided only that our faith rises above heaven and earth and ascends to Christ himself." To be Christian is not to be part of a nice club. To be Christian is not some voting or religious demographic." It's not to just know a collection of like nice moral stories or to be a nice person. It's not to be a political partisan or a cultural revolutionary. Christians are those with the mind of Christ. The world around us is always changing. Heaven and earth are always fluctuating. Nations rise, they fall. Lord willing, ours might fall someday. If we live to see it, there's evil in the world and it seems to win often. So we pay attention to those things with the mind of Christ. As Christians, He has told us what to expect, He has not left us in the dark. He has given us His salvation and His words of promise and they provide us a sturdy foundation to walk upon as we experience all of these things in this life, as we live in light of his nearness. Friends, as the world shakes around us, we live as the most peaceable, courageous, enduring people on earth. We expect all these things. Christ told us. He's told us. What can the world do to us that Christ has not already revealed? So we pay attention in this life. Trials come. But Christ underwent trial and death on our behalf. Pay attention. False Christs exist. the true Christ is at work in our minds and our hearts. Pay attention. Famines, earthquakes, economic recessions come and go. But Christ has promised to meet our every need. Pay attention. There's sin in our hearts. Satan is always scheming. And the world is always reaching its hand out to you with its promise of the good life. A life in which you can avoid all these things. But Christ rules our hearts. He has defeated Satan. And Christ overcomes the world. So we pay attention we pay attention in these ways because Christ calls us to pay attention and to be prepared to know the signs of the times. Friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus in a saving way, where are your hopes in these days? We, we should all realize that Christians aren't the only ones who know that the world kind of stinks. But it's a hard place to live in. That there's suffering and trials. But friends, if you don't know Jesus, what is your hope in those trials? Friends, Christ's nearness brings hopes, brings hope to those who hope in Him. If you turn to Christ in faith, you can have hope in the trials and the sufferings that you experience in this life, knowing That Christ is going to lead you into his kingdom, into his presence, away from all of these things, into the new life in his presence. If you're here this morning and you do trust in Jesus, Christ is near. And he knows, and we know that when he comes, when he comes, all these things will end. That the sorrows and the trials and the sufferings of this life will give way to the eternal weight of joy. That Christ will bring us to himself. He will wrap us up into his arms and we will receive the love of the Father for the Son. In the unity of the Spirit. That we will dwell with God forever. That he will wipe away every tear from our eyes all these things will be no more. So as his people, we pay attention, looking forward to Christ's second coming. Friends, since Christ is near, pay attention and be prepared. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious and most merciful God, we come to you. As those who are battered and beaten and bruised by the world, who are, who live under the weight of temptation, both from within and from without, where we live in a, a your church that always feels the pressure of hell against it, but God, we know that you're near. We know that you're near to us. So Lord, give us eyes to see, to recognize the signs of these times, and to wait patiently, courageously, with endurance, hope, and peace, knowing that your nearness will finally give way to your coming. Lord, be glorified, we pray. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we do as we do each week, have the opportunity to come to the Lord's Supper together. Christ calls us, calls his people to pay attention, to be prepared for his second coming. And we do that by looking to him in faith as we follow his commands. And in the Lord's Supper, It is a place in which we look to Christ in faith and obey his command. And as we come in faith to this table, the Holy Spirit makes Christ's presence real to us, to our senses.